Welcome back to the Junkyard Pod. I'm Tony Pasta, alongside Jackson Flickinger, and today we are going to be taking a dive into the world of NBA free agency, taking a look at what options the Cleveland Cavaliers have, who they should target, and maybe even who they should avoid. To set the stage, the Cavs, like many other teams who are in this playoff contender bubble, they have limited options for improving. They've stacked most of their chips on really three to four guys, depending on how you view Allen and his future. But outside of that, it's relatively unlikely they make any major upgrades at, uh, this summer. Internal growth and moves on the margin seem like the most realistic path forward for this team until maybe Doomsday with Donovan Mitchell's looming free agency. We'll have to wait and see what they do with that. But as for this current offseason, they have a $12 million mid-level exception at their disposal to either sign one or multiple players. Then they have available room to look for someone maybe on the veteran minimum scale. Uh, and of course, they have a number of players they're likely looking to trade or at least hearing offers for. But today we're going to focus mostly on the free agency side of things. Uh, but I do want to start off by asking you, Jackson, what are your expectations for this offseason? Are the Cavs going to make waves or will Kobe Altman continue to approach retooling this roster with a bit of caution? I kind of think that he's going to make some waves. I know that Kobe has said something like, his uh, exit interview, he was just talking about how great it is to have, you know, a 53-win team or whatever, 50, 52, 53? 51. 51, wow. Should have been 53. Him, they they dropped a that, couple. I was giving him that jazz game that Karis LeVert yeah. <laughs> uh, gave, gave Clarkson like 10 points yeah. in two seconds. Not um, nine points in like a span of 10 seconds. Yeah, that, yeah, what that other was game? a great moment. What other game could we give them? The um, Clippers game early in the season. Bit. I. I forget how much they were up by, but I think they blew like a double digit lead. And like, yeah, that was know, like minute 45. That was like Darius Garland's first, one of his first couple games back. And he was like, mm. I'm taking over the fourth quarter guys. And he had like <laughs> a million turnovers. That was rough. Yeah. So anyway, the 51 win Cavs <laughs> um, with a great, you know, a great team on the spreadsheets. And I think that's, you know, something that I feel like we brought up a lot um, that just didn't really come through in the playoffs, but Kobe in his exit interviews talked about how, you know, this is a really good team. This is a great step forward and everything. But I think he kind of saw what everybody else saw in the playoffs, you know, and there's not that many avenues to improve this team. As we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some guys that would, the Cavs could get on the mid-level exception. Those guys are, would be super helpful, but I think, you know, I think the Cavs just really need some things that you can't get from a guy from a mid-level mm -hmm. guy and you can't like trade Isaac Okoro and get somebody who's really good or like Jetty Osman, because, you know, if, if they were any good, they'd be helping your team. So exactly, you know, so I think that's where, that's where I think Kobe's going to have to get creative. And it's like the same thing with like Karis LeVert. Like um, I have a, I have a season in review coming up for Karis LeVert on Fred the Sword soon. But the title is like Karis LeVert's not the problem nor the solution at the wing. It's like, mm. you know, the Cavs just need more guys who could play and do multiple things. Karis LeVert's one of them. So if you trade him, what do you, you know, the upside isn't as high as you would like it to be. So that's yeah. where it's like, I that's where I kind of think like a Jared Allen trade could happen, or at least you're going to think about a Jared Allen trade trade because it's like, you know, that's, what other avenues do you have? You're not, you know, shout out to our guy, Sam Amico, but, you know, we're probably not trading Darius Garland. You know? Yeah, not not sure that one's happening anytime soon. So <laughs> you're not trading, you know, you're not trading Donovan Mitchell, at least not this season. Unless this he makes season. it so obvious that he's gone, right? Right. I mean, some would argue he's, he's trying to make that obvious, but... Um, <laughs> not Not but, quite to the trade him point. Right. I think, I think it's like, Hey, on one hand, Donovan Mitchell just had the best season of his career. And I think there's a lot of areas that he can improve in. And I think one of the reasons why he had a really good season is because I think he fits well with a lot of these guys that the Cavs have, but that fit is also like his fit is good with the core, not with, you know, Isaac Okoro, guys, yeah. not with, you know, <laughs> Jetty Osman. Um, so that's where it's like, you know, this is why this is such an important year because we got to figure out like 
Kobe needs to figure out how do we make this all work? So mm-hmm. I think he's, I think he's targeting the guys that the guys that, you know, we've heard come up. I think he's targeting the right type of players and stuff, but the mid-level exception is not going to save this team. It's going to help, but they still need to do some other creative retooling around the roster. Yeah. It's going to be difficult to find any one player that's available for the mid-level exception. That's really going to be a needle mover. Um, it's really kind of the conundrum they're in right now. It's they have a lot of players that you would really hope to replace and upgrade on, but their value isn't exactly super high. If you're trying to trade in a Coro, Jetty Osman, that's why Jared Allen is rumored in all of the trades for like the big swings, because if there was someone on the roster that you can trade, he's the one who would bring in the best return. What exactly that return would be, I'm not sure, but he is kind of the biggest swing that you have. Um, I do think Kobe, even though he has stressed or kind of implied during his end of the season conference that he's going to be patient, not make any sweeping changes. I think he's kind of unfairly gotten the reputation of being a guy who doesn't make moves just because he sat out one deadline. Kobe throughout his entire time in Cleveland has been really one of the most trigger happy guys in, in the front office. I mean, he is not afraid to make a trade. When you look at the turnaround that this roster has had from Andre Drummond and Larry Nance to Markinen to Mitchell, I mean, he's not a guy who's afraid to get crazy and do outlandish things as Brian Windhorst has suggested. Uh, exactly where this offseason will take him, it's kind of hard to say. I think anything on the margins is possible when we talk about, you know, Okoro, Osman, Stevens, Rubio, like any one of those guys getting moved, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Jared Allen, I think we're still in the stage, for me at least, where if the right deal is there, I think Kobe does it immediately. I'm not sure if he's going to take anything that isn't a clear upgrade at this point though. I think he might be a little more patient with Allen when we get to the deadline and potentially next off season, that's where the sense of urgency will really be creeping up. I think when we talk about Donovan Mitchell, it's easy to forget that he still is on contract until 2026. We have him for the entirety of next season. And then I believe his player option is in 2026. So I don't think we're in the off season where we need to trade him just yet. I think all of this will come up next season, next summer, Hopefully the Cavs won't go out as sad as they did in the playoffs this year, because then maybe we'll have a little bit more, you know, a little bit more security and how long he's going to be staying here. Uh, would you say Jackson that the Cavs biggest need is a three point shooting wing probably this summer? Uh, they need it's anybody who can shoot threes. I don't, <laughs> I don't really even like to limit it to just the wing because mm-hmm. I think like, Ideally, the Cavs do need a three that they can play um, with the starting lineup. So that's obviously the number one concern. It's going to be the number one concern until LeBron James returns. Then, then that concern is gone. Um, yeah. But that's going to be like the concern until they get a guy. Um, but you're not like the guy you're getting in with the uh, mid-level. Like if you're getting a high volume, good three-point shooting wing you know, those guys aren't mid-level exception guys. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that when we talk about how the Cavs were able to rebuild so fast, and I think you did a good job of talking about how Kobe is definitely somebody who likes to make moves. Um, Really, you know, it's like his favorite thing just to do (laughs) trades. He's done trades just for the sake of doing them. Um, He's, the reason why the Cavs have been able to turn around so quickly is they've really won on the margins and areas and valued things that other teams didn't value. Like Jared, like the Jared Allen trade, I think is really the catalyst to this whole rebuild because Mm. teams were like, Oh, this is just a rim running center. What good is that? And the Cavs showed that, Hey, this can really lead to success. The same with, you know, they drafted Darius Garland, you know, who a lot of people had a lot of questions about, you know, if they would, if we redid that draft, he would certainly go a lot higher than he did, you know, and the same is true with, you know, even, uh, even the Evan Mobley pick, like he slid down to him, you know, yeah. so they grabbed, they grabbed, you know, Donovan Mitchell when his value was the lowest, you know? So it's like, even though they paid a lot for him, I think 
all in all, I still think the Cavs got a really good deal considering how many years were left on his contract when they got him. So mm-hmm. they really built this team by using the market inefficiencies to their advantage. But the thing that's not a market inefficiency is guys who can shoot and guys who can shoot on the wing. And that's why they have no wings. That's why teams like the Raptors are like overvalued, you know, because mm-hmm. they have all the things that people want. It's just if you have you know, all the things that people want, you may not have a good actual fitting basketball team, but so that's where it's like the Cavs just, you know, they're not going to get that guy with the mid level. And that's why, you know, to get somebody who really does fit, you may need to move, you know, a Jared Allen. So any, any Jared Allen complaints isn't due to his game. It's more due to the fact the that, fit. yeah. Cause we have, you know, the Cavs drafted Evan Evan Mobley, and I think his best position is going to be when he matures, is going to be the five. And a lot of times you're going to get in the playoff series where you're going to want to close with him and four shooters out there. And that's never going to be Jared Allen. And Evan Mobley's not just going to become, you know, a stretch four overnight that takes more than four or five threes a game. Like that's never, that's not in the cards. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's that's where all these issues come from. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, just to kind of counter or maybe try and get in the mind of anyone who is sticking by Jared Allen or maybe why Kobe would be more patient is I would say that when you look at the Cavs and you compare them to other teams, there are a lot of teams that have you know multiple non-shooting big men on their team. Now, maybe they don't play them together the way the Cavs do. That's something that's a little more unique. But really the issue with the Cavs is they basically have two shooters on the entire roster. It's like Garland and Mitchell are the only two guys that can really shoot with any sort of efficiency and volume. You have Jetty, who is – he's Jetty. He's a little bit inconsistent. He's probably their next best shooter. Uh, Karis LeVert did a wonderful job turning into the closest thing uh, that he could become as the catch-and-shoot guy, but I don't think he'll ever really be a traditional shooting threat. Dean Wade is another guy who, you know – just had an off year, lost his confidence, wasn't really much of a threat out there, didn't shoot with any volume. Coro obviously uh, improved as a shooter, but he's not really a volume shooter. And that's where the Cavs run into this big problem where you mentioned the Raptors. You look at teams like the Celtics. Uh, there's another team out there with a bunch of wings that I just blanked on, the Bucks. All, all these teams where it's like they just have six guys that can go out there and shoot. The Miami Heat, uh, they, you know, the Cavs are just kind of – on the outside looking in with all these wings, the Clippers is the team I was thinking of. They have like every prototypical three and D wing guy you could think of. And the Cavs are just missing out on basically all of that. And so if you manage to add either one legit three point shooter or multiple guys who can shoot the three ball in free agency this off season, I think that could on paper help open up the spacing for this Cavs team, even with Allen and Mobley. One thing that, I think it's overlooked when we talk about the Cavs uh, collapse in the playoffs and their lack of spacing and kind of all of the issues of Jared Allen being highlighted is that they lost Laurie Markkinen and Kevin Love within the same year. And that really hurts your front court spacing when you're not able to stagger Allen and Mobley at all. And you basically just have to play the two of them together. And when you are trying to bench one of them, you're putting in Lamar Stevens at small ball four, who isn't exactly giving you any spacing you're playing Jetty, who, again, as we mentioned, he he's a capable shooter, but he's just inconsistent on nights where he doesn't have it. He's going to hurt your spacing. So the Cavs just have some issues that they need to address. And trading Allen is maybe the easiest way to uh, find a solution all at once. But I don't think they need to necessarily trade Allen. I would like to see them try and address it through free agency first and then go from there in the deadline. Yeah, definitely. It's just... Yeah, it's just one of the things that the Donovan Mitchell trade does is it just sped everything up. Like if Mm -hmm. the Donovan Mitchell trade never happened, I think you could let this experiment go out for two or three years before you really like went all in in a direction. And the Cavs just don't have that luxury with with Donovan Mitchell trade kind of accelerating everything. And that's, you know, I, I... I still believe you do that deal 10 times out of 10. It's just the reality of the NBA that once you go all in like that, it's hard to make Donovan Mitchell a, a all NBA type player 
try to sell him on his third contract in a situation that is still kind of being really patient. Yeah, I agree for sure. But bringing our topic back to free agency and focusing on what the Cavs can do to improve with their $12 million mid-level exception, uh, Jackson, assuming you can get anyone within reason for the MLE, who is your primary target if you're the Cavaliers? Uh, anybody within reason. Um, yes. So, so I guess not, I not guess, Chris Middleton. I guess if you could get anybody within reason, that's not Chris Middleton. I mean, Harrison Barnes would be great. You know, I don't think I don't think he's going to be going for the mid level exception. But mm-hmm. crazier things have happened. One of the things that I think is really interesting to like, I'm not a I'm not a cap expert. I'm not a I'm not mm-hmm. a Neither am I. Yeah, I'm not a CBA expert or anything like that. But one of the things to really monitor is, like, I think the market's going to be a lot different than what we are expecting, Mm -hmm. or at least a lot different than it's been in previous years. I think there's going to be some things that surprise us in terms of maybe guys going way higher or way lower than we think. Uh, I mean, Harrison Barnes would be, I think he'd be kind of the most, not the most ideal fit because... I still want somebody who could shoot a lot of threes and somebody who teams have to cover in the playoffs. And if there's mm-hmm. one thing that we know about Harrison Barnes is that teams are certainly are, are more are more than okay with leaving him open in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But he's somebody who, if the Cavs, if he just so happened to fall into the Cavs lap, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. That's actually the same guy that I had as my number one pick there. I mean, he already has experience bringing a championship to Cleveland, so that's a good start for him. For sure. uh, he's the perfect wing size. He's the ideal guy that you would want at small forward. You could put him small ball four, and he won't get absolutely killed. Uh, to me, he is kind of the ideal glue guy. He's not like the best glue guy in the NBA, but he plays that role pretty damn good. He did it well in Golden State. He's doing it in Sacramento. Uh, he's not a ball stopper. He plays his role. He shoots when he's open. He can put the ball on the floor to a decent degree. He's not as athletic as he used to be, but he's still a little bit of a threat to get to the rim. And he's just a smart player. He's not really going to, other than when he's in those drastic shooting slumps and he like loses his confidence, he's really not going to kill you at any point. He's always just going to play solid ball on both ends of the floor. And that's really what the Cavs need is a guy that they can put out at small forward and just not be run off the floor because of him. Right. Like, when Okoro's out there and teams are completely ignoring him and he's 0 for 4 from the corner, it gets hard to keep him out there. Same with Jetty. You can put Harrison Barnes out there, not saying that he solves their issues at all, or he doesn't solve all of their issues is what I meant to say, but he is someone who is consistent enough to kind of put them in, put the stars in a position to win the game, whereas Okoro and the rest of these wings that the Cavs currently have, a lot of times it feels like they are limiting what the stars are capable of doing by – the lack of spacing that they bring, the lack of consistency, and just all the different deficiencies that our wings currently have. Yeah, one of the things that I will say, this isn't really about like Harrison Barnes. It's more about the Cavs. Like the Cavs, like, so I feel like when you get to the playoffs, there's guys who shoot well in the regular season. And then there's guys who, once they get to the playoffs, teams are okay with letting them shoot. They're like fake good shooters. And I feel like Harrison Barnes kind of falls into that category yeah. mm-hmm. uh, where like teams are like, you know, it's fine that you're like a whatever, like a 36, 35% three point shooter. We're just going to live with you shooting. We're just not going to care what you do. We're just going to, you know, mm-hmm. pack the paint, focus on the stars. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that kind of scares me about a guy like that is the Cavs are fine in the regular season with Isaac Okoro. Like mm. they can make it work when teams ignore Okoro in the regular season. Like, yeah, it's hurt them in some matchups, but as, as we said, they won 58 games last yeah. year. You know, we just keep giving 51. them wins. <laughs> Should have won 58. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, so like, and the offense was, a, I believe it was a top 10 offense still in the regular yeah. season. I, I think it so, might've been eighth. So, so it's like, when you're talking about a guy like Harrison Barnes, and I think this maybe. To a lesser degree, Kyle Kuzma, because I think Kyle Kuzma has a lot more of an offensive bag. Um, mm-hmm. That where it's like, if you're not a guy who teams are like running out to and closing out to in a playoff setting, how much of an upgrade are you over Isaac Okoro? 
you know, mm-hmm. so that's something to keep in mind, especially when we talk about like a Jared Allen trade. Like if you had a Jared Allen trade and you got a Harrison Barnes fake good shooter, I don't think mm-hmm. that's making anything any better. I think you yeah. need to get like a real good shooter. So all that to say Harrison Barnes would be fantastic on this team, but mm-hmm. you still have issues even if you got a Harrison Barnes yeah, those are fantastic points. I'm glad that you brought that all up. Um, Kuzma is someone who I'll just briefly mention. I don't know if you had him on your list. I didn't put him on my list just because I don't think he's going to go for the mid-level. Even Harrison Barnes is a bit of a stretch. But, uh, you know, Kuzma, he is also kind of a fake good shooter. He kind of gets the rep of being a shooter, even though he's not really that good at it. But the thing that he does bring to the table is he can actually put the ball on the floor he has a little bit of a post game. He can score in the mid range. He can get to the rim. So those are all good qualities to have. Uh, the next guy that I'm going to bring up who is second on my list, who has been a very popular target amongst Cavs fans. I think he's a guy who could help just like Harrison Barnes, but he also falls into the category of being a fake good shooter. And that's Grant Williams. He is a guy who has played competitive basketball in Boston for a few years now. He has proven that he can play. He can be out there. In big games, he can make a difference. He's a versatile defender. Again, he has good size. He can play the three. He can play the four. On paper, he's a good four spacer. But as you mentioned, and I planned on bringing this up with Grant Williams, he's not really a four spacer once you get to the playoffs because teams have no problem leaving him open. Now, he is more capable of making opponents pay for leaving him open than Isaac Okoro is, uh, for example. Something that I pulled up with a few of these free agents is just their percentage shooting from the corner because I think whoever you sign with that MLE is probably going to be spending most of their time in the corner. Grant Williams throughout the regular season shot 42% from the corner, which was the 11th best percentage for players who took at least 120. So he's in the upper echelon of players who can spot up in the corner, catch and shoot. He's another guy who on paper fits. I would gladly take him to the Cavs. I think he helps them a lot, but in terms of moving the needle, as we mentioned at the start, I'm a little skeptical if, Grant Williams is going to take the Cavs from where they were last year to making a finals run. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, a good test is if you're playing that team in the playoffs, are you okay with that player getting a wide open three? And yeah. it's like when the Cavs are playing the Celtics, it's like, you know, if Grant, if Grant Williams is going to beat you, that's fine. It's just not mm-hmm. your night, but you yeah. can't let, you know, all the other guys, you know, beat you and that's that's kind of where it's like well you know grant williams is he helpful yeah is he solving the issues no and that's where that's kind of what we keep going back to when you talk about the mid-level is that the mid-level is not solving your issues even if you get a guy that you really want so Mm -hmm. even like the top guy on my list harrison barnes he's not solving all the Cavs' issues he's helping and that's a step in the right direction but it's not there's no there's no magic pill that we can yeah. just take and make everything go away. So uh, I mm. like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And somebody... I, I think I also just wanted to bring up real quick before you go to another player. I think that's why I wanted to set the expectations for the off season entering this, because I think a lot of cast fans are hoping for the big swing or the guy who's going to come in and fix everything. I think the reality is you're just going to get a guy who helps if you're, if everything goes right, we just want a guy who will help because I don't think you're going to get someone that fixes everything. There's no magic bullet. We just need assets that are going to help. But anyways, you can go ahead with whoever your second pick is for the Cavs mid-level. All right. So um, this is a new addition. I didn't have it when I, when we first came up with this list. So um, I'm shooting from the hip, but uh, (laughs) give me, give me Seth Curry. Um, He's not, he's not solving your issues as in like he's six, two and he's Mm -hmm. not a big six, two. Um, he, which is kind of the Cavs theme. They they love small six two guys. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so, but he's somebody who hey, we talk about somebody who can shoot the three ball. Um, he can shoot the three ball. That's really mm-hmm. he's somebody who what I what I want this team to have, and I'm okay with playing small in the backcourt or even small at the wing. If you have somebody who when you set a when like. Allen or Mobley sets a screen for them. The whole defense is shifting like, okay, well, Curry's coming off of a screen. We mm-hmm. got to all move, you know, because this guy is a 40% three-point shooter. 
you know, looking at looking at his numbers, a 43% corner three-point shooter, you know, uh, last year, 39% above the break. Those are excellent numbers. He was even, you know, those were low by his standards, honestly. Mm-hmm. So it's like somebody like that coming off the bench, he's not somebody who you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Seth Curry, definitely in our in our closing lineup. No, but mm-hmm. he could be like, okay, he can get you back into a game. He can really – his presence could help an offense out of a rut, and mm-hmm. they don't have that guy on the bench. And he's that something that we can't really say about Harrison Barnes, Grant Williams, maybe Kyle, Kyle Kuzma could definitely fall into that category, but in a very different way, in a way that isn't necessarily as much of like a off ball um, threat. Mm. But anyways, so he's somebody who I would definitely be okay with them taking a look at. I think he'd be a fantastic fit. That's, that's a fantastic one. I do think Cavs fans have, uh, potentially overlooked the addition of someone like Curry just because of his height. Uh, Obviously there's such a huge gap on the wing that we all want to see that address, but you bring up a fantastic point. There is that, you know, you can't really overstate the value of having a guy who can come in off the bench and pull you out of a rut. Uh, The value of having Seth Curry come in rather than Ricky Rubio, for example, and just nailing two or three, three pointers, like that can help swing things back in your favor and set the starters up to finish what, Seth Curry started. That's something that Kevin Love did at times uh, last season and at the start of this season where it's like the Cavs kind of come out slow. Kevin Love comes in, gives them a few easy buckets, and now the ball is rolling again. So Seth Curry's a great choice there. Uh, as uh, as most of the Cavs fans will probably feel, it's maybe not the most ideal one in terms of you really want to upgrade on size. But again, look, if it's between playing Ricky Rubio again or giving Seth Curry those minutes, I would gladly take the Seth Curry minutes. So that's a nice little shooting from the hip there. I, I like it, Jackson. Yeah, and it's just like you're not – again, it's just you're not solving this team's issues. So, you know, like a Seth Curry solved some of the – some of like the off-ball spacing, which I think has been a real mm-hmm. problem and something that I think uh, could really be improved upon, even with Mitchell and Garland, as I don't think – they were optimized off ball. And I think if they're optimized off ball, it kind of alleviates some of these issues anyways, but Mm -hmm. he would definitely help there. So, you know, whenever you can get one of the best shooters of all time, that's what I think Seth Curry is. It's just, Mm -hmm. he's not very good at the rest of basketball. (laughs) Like like his brother's a lot better at the rest of basketball (laughs) and a better shooter, but still that doesn't discount what Seth is as a shooter. So, you Mm -hmm. know, the Cavs need shooting. Give me, the best shooter available. And that's probably Seth. Yeah. It's always great just to get guys who are good at basketball guys who can do something really, really good. Even if they maybe don't fit perfectly, if you just add talent to this team, you could trade Curry at the deadline, even potentially and package him with something else and get a better return. So I do think that adding Seth Curry, I wouldn't rule it out. One thing I will say about adding guys with very distinct skills that it gives you the flexibility to really change up your lineup depending on who you're playing like change mm-hmm. up who your closing lineup is and stuff it's like there's going to be a lot of matchups where a potential seth curry guy pickup doesn't really help because he doesn't have any size the Cavs don't have size in the backcourt anyways but there could be a couple situations where it really does help and that's where it's that's why i like guys like that just because they can swing a series or a matchup in a way that, you know, maybe just a better basketball player that's not as skilled in one area doesn't. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another guy similar to South Curry that I'll toss in here just to mention, Dante DiVincenzo. I think he's an interesting guy to target. He's also undersized. He brings basically all the same problems that South Curry would bring. Uh, not as good of a shooter, but he's a solid defender. He has proven that he can play a role. He is more of an off-ball guy. As you mentioned, just getting the defense to shift, getting someone out there who defenses care about. You know, I don't think you would have to stick Seth Curry or DiVincenzo in the corner and have them spot up like you would with Barnes or Grant Williams. You could set screens for them. You can have them run around. And that's always great to have a defense care about more than two people on the floor at a time. Uh, He shot 40% from the corner last season, which is what you would want if he was going to be spotting up there. But the guy who I will pick is my third player. Oh, hold on. I do want to say something because Dante DiVincenzo mm-hmm. was on my list. 
He was, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. He was he was my next guy. I think he is not a perfect fit, mm-hmm. um, but I think he's a really. I think the thing about Divincenzo that I, that I really like is that he kind of he's more than just a shooter. He he's a decent distributor. He's somebody mm-hmm. who is comfortable dribbling the ball. Um, his shot Hello. is actually his shot is actually the thing that I worry about the most because. Mm-hmm. He shot 39% last year, which is great, but that's not really who he's been throughout his career. So that's where it's like, I don't, you know, like the year before he was a 34% shooter, which we have those. (laughs) So, you know, he's not really helping there. And then like 2021, he was a 38% shooter. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's what you need. And then the year before he was 33%. So it's like, you know, that. That's where I'm not as sure as like, you know, like Seth Curry. I know that he's going to be like a bad Seth Curry shooting year. He's going to be like 38%, you know, and like a Dante DiVincenzo isn't. Whereas Mm -hmm. Dante DiVincenzo, obviously he has a lot more size um, than, you know, he's somebody who you, I think you could, I think the Cavs could get away with playing him at the three. Mm -hmm. He's not a bad defender. Right. And due to their size in the front court, but it's mm. just where it's like if his three-point shot kind of goes away like it has for whole seasons, then he he starts to look a lot like Jetty Osmond. And then why would we why would we get Dante DiVincenzo if we yeah, have Dante? The more Jetty, the better. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's that's where that's my big concern with him. But I would definitely be glad with him. So, yeah. Sorry for just hijacking that whole thing. <laughs> oh no, you're good. I I wasn't sure if you had DiVincenzo mentioned or not. Uh I had a couple different guys here as my third option. I figured I would just pivot depending on who you brought up. But uh the other guy who I think basically again, pretty similar role to DiVincenzo would be Max Struess. He's a little taller. Mm-hmm. Uh clearly just had a great playoff run. Uh kind of fizzled out in the finals, but 45% from the corner. That's third best in the NBA this season, uh, minimum 120 attempts. Uh, he's still a little undersized for what you would want for at the wing. But, I mean, the guy just played great basketball. He's proven that he can do it. He's, again, another guy who can play off ball, which is what you want. You don't need someone who's going to dribble like Cam Reddish and not to throw shade at anyone. But you don't need a guy who's going to hijack the offense. You need a guy who's going to play off ball, catch and shoot, play his role on defense and get the job done there and shoot efficiently. And I think Max Struess is a, a pretty good option there for that. Uh, really like Max Struess. Uh, I didn't pick him because I figured you would pick him. So I'm glad mm-hmm. you did. Um, he is definitely, you know, we talk about the thing I like about Max Struess is he gets the shots up. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at his per 36 numbers, uh, Last season, he had 8.9 three-point attempts per 36. The season before, he had 10. The season before, he had 10.5. So this is a guy who gets shots up when he's in. And unlike guys like Kelly Oubre, uh, the ball goes in <laughs> pretty decently. So it's not <laughs> yeah, just a, it's a good because, clip. again, people people forget we have we have – we have Jetty Osman. Jetty Osman gets shots up. Like people, mm-hmm. people are like, "Well, Kelly Uber, he gets at least at least he gets shots up." It's like Jetty gets shots up. Like <laughs> he, he gets he, he gets a ton of them up. So that's mm-hmm. you know it's and then people get mad at him because they don't go in, even though they go in at a higher clip than a lot of these people we've mentioned. So um, so, anyways, <laughs> that's that's where I'm like, I think Max Drews is probably the best overall fit because he's like, you know, he can start games, you know, teams aren't just going to forget about him. He's really like, he's not as good as Harrison Barnes or Kyle Kuzma, but he's a better fit. I think. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And uh, just the volume of the shots. Like we talked a lot about the Cavs uh, spate or pace this year and they're the way that they played you have a guy who's actually a threat to shoot and transition and again actually a threat like he can make these shots your pace is going to go up a little bit right now jetty outside of mitchell and garland of course jetty's like the only guy if you're pushing in transition you want to see taking a three max truce would be one of those guys and that would help a lot um did you have a third guy i'm not sure what number we're at here did you have a third oh i i have i have backup options i'm not going to get i'm going to give you a couple so somebody else who who I thought of, uh, Utah Watanabe, 
is somebody that I really like. Um, he, one of the things I find intriguing about him, he's not, he's not a young guy. He's going to be like 29 next year, but he's still kind of finding his legs in the NBA, like in terms of what his role is, how he's going to be playing, you know, like he, if you look at his minutes per season, like his minutes per game, they've never gotten to 20 minutes per game yet, but they're starting to creep up. And I think he did some really good things in a really bad situation with the nets. Like I think Mm -hmm. like that nets bench and supporting cast was really poor and he was put in a tough spot, but he was still able, you know, he shot 44% from three, the three point attempts aren't very high, uh, only 2.3. So that's, you know, that's something to take a, you know, to keep in mind. But I think what you're buying is this is somebody who's still finding his legs in the NBA and maybe he can, he hasn't reached the best, you know, he hasn't reached the best version of himself, even though he's not like a young guy by any stretch. Um, somebody else who definitely bears mentioning uh, Torian Prince, um, mm-hmm. who just got his, uh, the Timberwolves declined the player option team option for him. Um, he's somebody who I think would really help. Uh, he's a 38% three point shooter. He's a good corner three point shooter, uh, 43% last season. That's something that mm-hmm. you want. Uh, my concern with Torian Prince is kind of the same thing. Like just, you know, maybe the, maybe the volume isn't quite what I would, you know, a 5.9 per 36 the volume's not super high last year. It was higher the year before. That's kind of an area where I'm a little concerned. Like, is he somebody who teams would cover in a playoff setting for the Cavs? Yeah. I don't, I'm not convinced that he is, but he's somebody who can play the three and four, which is really helpful. It gives you versatility. You know, we talked about one of the things about, you know, like Grant, like Grant Williams would be a lot more palatable if he's somebody who could actually play the three and four. He's really someone only that could only play the four. I know people yeah. have compared him to Lowry, but he's not really. Lowry's a lot better than that, um, <laughs> and like a lot more athletic, I think. So you could get away with it, whereas you couldn't get away with it with Williams, I don't think. But Prince, you can. So I think that's why he has a lot of value there. So those are my like honorable mentions. Do you have mm-hmm. any honorable mentions that you want to throw out? Yeah, Utah Watanabe was also on mine. I think the guy it, it's it's such an interesting player because he is 28. Uh, he hasn't really found his place in the NBA yet, despite being a flamethrower from deep. I mean, he was one of the best catch and shoot guys in the NBA this year. Granted, the volume was very low. I did take a look. The most threes he has attempted in a game is eight. So he's not exactly putting them up at a high rate, but he was extremely efficient. He's six foot eight, uh, super long arms. It's a bit of a concern that he hasn't found his place in the NBA yet, but sometimes guys just go under the radar. And if the Cavs could get him for even because you can split the mid-level into multiple players, if you could get him on the lower end, I'm not sure what his price will be this year, considering I'd have to imagine teams around the league are noticing how well he shot the ball last season, and maybe some team will get crazy. But if the Cavs mad him on the lower end of the mid-level, I'm all in on that. I think he's worth taking a chance on. Same with Prince. If you can get him for the lower end of the mid-level or even a veteran minimum, which I think might be a stretch, I'm not sure where his price is. But again, just getting as many guys that can help, getting as many guys you can throw out there who have proven to be somewhat consistent, somewhat efficient, and can put up three pointers is really what this team needs in the off season. Yeah, and you got to remember, Watanabe spent time with the Raptors. So talk about a situation mm-hmm. where you can't develop yeah. and grow. Mm-hmm. You know, got to come to, got to come to Cleveland if you really want to become the best version of yourself. <laughs> of course. So we'll finish this off. I want to ask you: Do you have any players, any targets who you feel the Cavs shouldn't be looking at? or that the Cavs Twitter may be as high on that you're not really as high on? Uh, I mean, just Kelly, Kelly Oubre is just not really my mm-hmm. guy. Um, <laughs> you know, just not the, the three point percentage isn't really what we want to see. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he kind of, okay. He falls into that category. He falls into the Harrison Barnes category. And I don't, 
think that's really like what the Cavs need. Um, Cause like, you know, we'd say I'm pretty critical of Isaac Okoro, but Isaac Okoro does a lot of things very well. Um, mm-hmm. They just, nobody covers him. He doesn't really have a good offensive feel for the game. Um, and Kelly Oubre, I don't, I kind of think he doesn't really have a great offensive feel either. It's just where Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade have no feel and don't shoot. Uh, Kelly Oubre shoots. Um, shoot. And that's, <laughs> and that's not like, you need guys who can shoot, who shoot. Like, you definitely need that. But I don't – the Cavs have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, who are all, to varying degrees, efficient offensive scorers. So whenever mm-hmm. you're taking the ball out of their hands, it better be for a good reason. And Kelly rate isn't that good reason, especially if he's somebody who is going to get shots up no matter what. So he's not somebody that I would be particularly – thrilled with yeah we're on the same page there i also had kelly Oubre. i will say that if it's between getting nobody and getting kelly Oubre for the full mle i would take it of course but uh, all the things that you mentioned are the same concerns for me i think kelly Oubre is very good on paper it's a versatile wing great size he's athletic uh 20 point per game scorer jumps off the page but then you look at the efficiency uh 30 shooter it really doesn't feel like he has impacted winning at any point in his career. Uh, he, his stint with the Warriors was pretty uh, underwhelming. I question, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, the Cavs don't really need a guy who's going to hijack the offense. They need someone who's going to play a role, and that role is going to be mostly off ball. Kelly Oubre is the type of guy who needs the ball in his hands. He likes to shoot a lot. Uh, the chase down pod mentioned this when they were talking about the draft uh, and Imani Bates, and I think this also applies to a guy like Kelly Oubre, where he's the type of guy that needs to take six or seven shots a night to really get a feel for his offense. He's not a guy who's going to come off the bench third quarter and be ready to shoot two for three. Oubre needs to put shots up. You're going to have to live with the 0-4 shooting nights if you want to get the five for seven shooting nights, right? He's not really an instant rhythm guy. He needs to be a high usage guy in order to really get the best out of him. And I think that's something that could hold the Cavs back because you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. If you want someone taking bad shots, it should be those two guys. You don't want you want to limit the difficult shots for the rest of the supporting cast. And I feel like Kelly Oubre comes with a bit of baggage in terms of shot selection. Yeah, somebody else we do not want is Miles Bridges. Um, yeah, from all the off the court issues that are very mm-hmm. concerning. Um, and anytime you have a favorite team, you want guys who you can like positively root for Mm -hmm. so that it just complicates everything and one thing that i will say for everybody who's like i his fit i don't know if his fit is as good as what everyone thinks it might be Mm -hmm. even if everything else was not really there he's he's somebody who is an efficient scorer he scores well at the rim but (laughs) he has you know it's all good. Uh, his fourth year, his fourth year, like he's, he's been in the league for four years. Uh, only one season has he shot over 33% from three, which is not really the percentage that like people talk about him. Like he's a great shooter in 2021. He shot 40% from three, which was great, but that's not the person he's been for the other three years. And then whenever you're talking about somebody who wasn't, he didn't play basketball for a full season, especially for off the court issues. That's concerning. What guy are you getting? And then you throw in a suspension on top of that, I believe, Mm because I believe he still has to serve a 30 game suspension. So like, that's a lot of issues and that's not even counting the real issue. So Mm. um, I, I'm fine. We don't need that. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, The on the court fit is questionable. All the off court stuff is Uh, Not good at all. Uh, Definitely someone who I wouldn't feel good rooting for. I would have trouble doing that. And another guy who I'll throw in here who is not on the same level as Miles Bridges in terms of off-court stuff and just being a vibe killer, but I'm good on Dylan Brooks. Cavs don't need him. He doesn't really bring what they need, and I just I don't think he's that good of a basketball player. Uh, So I'll throw him in there as the last guy who I would pass on. 
I'm actually okay. I'm actually okay with Dylan Brooks. Um, okay. I think he's, I think he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> like I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. Like I'm not a fan of him, but mm. I think he, he has good size. He is, yeah. he is athletic and he does, he can create his own shot. Mm. Um, I think if the Cavs were able to keep him in line, I think he would be very helpful and I think he would fit in very well. Um, but you could also see a version where he doesn't fit in and mm. he doesn't get along and things go very poorly. So that's kind of a high risk move, but I think yeah. like it could possibly pay off. And I can see I, that. Yeah. I completely like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like advocating for them to get him, but I'm also like, if they got him, he's somebody that I think you wouldn't have a hard time talking yourself into. Mm. He's definitely the type of player that I feel like you would enjoy more when he's on your team, just for all like the, the annoying stuff from our perspective, when he's on your team, you kind of get behind it, the fiery competitiveness, getting in people's faces. And it's also something that maybe this Cavs team could use is a bit of toughness. So there's upside there. Uh, I wouldn't be extremely upset if they got Dylan Brooks. It's just someone who, like, if they if the Cavs don't sign someone, whether it be for the mid-level exception or even a veteran minimum who can just shoot the ball efficiently, I'll be a little upset. But if they added Dylan Brooks as one of a couple different guys they got this offseason, I wouldn't have a problem with it at, at all. Yeah, he's not an efficient shooter, so that's kind of what it comes back mm. to. Um, but he – you know, he's a good defender. Mm. He, he can you dribble. Don't get, you don't have – he's 6'7". These are all things the Cavs don't have. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm – you could do you could do worse. And I think that – For sure. If, if he was a – if he went to the market last year, like last, you know, last offseason, mm. I think he's somebody who gets a pretty good-sized contract. Um, yeah. But – Everything that happened this year rightfully left a sour mm. taste in everyone's mouth. And <laughs> yeah. I think even if John Morant wasn't in the trouble, if John Morant wasn't in the trouble he was in, I still think the Grizzlies probably tried to make it work out with Dylan Brooks. Mm. But Dylan Brooks, and then you have the John Morant situation, I think that becomes a little too much. So, yeah. And that's when you want to move on. So I would, you know, we. We'll see. We'll see. I would. I think it's not the end of the world if, if yeah. that was the move. I agree. Buying low on a guy who, like you said last year, probably would have gone for higher on the market. Uh, it's not a horrible idea. It's just someone who I would probably not like. I'm not advocating for. I guess, but mm -hmm. if he comes to Cleveland, of course, I'll be rooting for him. But that's going to do it for this episode of the well, Junkyard. Pod. You never got to my third guy. Yeah, who was your third guy? You had some honorable mentions. Let's yeah, I was, I'm, I'm we can, we can fill the third it. guy. Uh, the third guy. So what if I told you, so high-volume three-point shooter. Is this Kevin Love? He can play the four. He can play the five sometimes. Yeah, it's Kevin, it's Love. Kevin Love. Of course oh, it's Kevin man. Love. A great locker <laughs> I room knew leader. It. He's he, somebody who everyone in the locker room looks up to. If you talk to <laughs> Isaiah Mobley for two seconds, he's just talking about Kevin Love, about how good of a mentor he is. I think the Cavs, the biggest mistake that the Cavs made last season was believing in their own hubris and believing mm -hmm. in themselves too much, I believe. And I think the Knicks gave them some humble pie. And I think bringing back Kevin Love, who I don't think has a good mark, a big market out there, his shot never really came around with Miami. So we don't need to like act like, oh yeah, he was a great three point shooter again. Mm -hmm. Because if he was the guy he was in 2022, then teams would be lining up to sign him, but he's not. So I think I think he would be a really good fit. Somebody who you can play at the, you know, you can play at the four. He, he solves a lot of bench issues. He has, he brings a lot of spacing, you know, he helps rebounding. <laughs> Kevin Love, he's literally, if you just looked at his stats, you, if Kevin Love wasn't on the team last year, you would say Kevin Love is the best, mm -hmm. is a great fit for this team. And I, nobody's talked about it. There's probably a reason nobody's talked about it, but 
I think the Cavs would be dumb to not look into it and at least see what could happen, especially if, you know, I, I think, I think the locker room would like it. <laughs> they might. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the junkyard. You don't have any comments. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Kevin love. Look, I think there's like probably a 0% chance it happened just because of how it ended. But I mean, yeah, like everyone talks about the Cavs need a stretch big or a floor spacer. I think stretch big is even more rare than the three and D wing that we talk about that word just gets thrown out there. Like there's stretch bigs all over the court or all over the NBA. Kevin love is really one of the only guys who is like, actually a floor spacer who can play the four and five and rebound and bring what you would want from a big man. Like teams respect him as a shooter and they defend him as a shooter, even when the shot isn't falling. So yes, uh, you know how I feel about Kevin love. I, he would be a perfect fit. Uh, I mentioned this earlier in the pod that losing him was part of the reason why the Allen spacing issue became such a huge highlight is that you didn't have anyone to stagger Mobley and Allen with. So Kevin love is still, one of the better options to solve that issue. I don't know how his relationship is with Kobe. It sounds like the players still love him. So if there was somehow a miracle uh, reunion there, I would be very happy with that. But it sounds like Apollo does not like it. If you can hear him barking right no, now. He, so. No, he, he, he loves it. He's advocating for it. Yeah. <laughs> Says bring Kevin love back. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves Kevin Love, man, except for yeah. except Cavs, for Kobe Twitter. and JB. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I think we, I think we really did hit every target now. After that, um, Paolo's gonna bark the whole outro probably here, but let him. Uh, it is the junkyard pod named after the junkyard dog. So Apollo's bringing us out here. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We will be continuing to cover the Cavs off season as more craziness continues. Someone is delivering DoorDash right now. That's why he's going crazy, if anyone's wondering. But thank you, Jackson, as always. It's a great episode, and we'll see you guys probably after free agency starts. I agree. Go Cavs.